y'all it's your girl brown sugar with episode two of season two sister you've been on my mind healing through sexual trauma and strengthening sisterhood hey y'all it's been so long i haven't talked to y'all since june when i dropped my last episode and um, I know I said I was going to be more consistent with dropping, but honestly, between school, work, life, um, I just don't have the time. And I feel like when I do drop, they are super gems. So I just feel like y'all going to get these episodes when y'all get them. And that seems to be whenever I am finishing a life cycle or I've learned a valuable lesson that I feel like I should share with the world. So I feel like that's when y'all are going to get episodes. (laughs) Um, Let me catch y'all up. A lot has been going on since the last time I talked to y'all. I am currently going through a breakup job wise, relationship wise, and um, I'm tired of going to school. I'm still in school full time. I won't be done until graduation in June. I have a new job. Um, I'm working at a bakery right now doing cake decorating. I do production as cupcakes, specialty cakes, cakes in a month, special orders, slices, all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, we are in the middle of a Mercury retrograde. So I, everything and everybody's getting on my nerves. I feel like nothing's going right. But I feel like the rest of the world feels like that as well due to the fact that Mercury is in retrograde. So shit's been crazy. I'll just say that shit has been crazy. I just feel like there is never a point in time where things are going smooth. It's like, oh, life's going great. Mm, Time for some shit to fuck up. (laughs) But um, no, so... In this episode, um, it's going to be more on a serious level. I actually have been sitting on this episode for a year now. This was originally supposed to be my second episode. Um, I'm looking back at some of the content and notes that I have from it, and it's dated April of 2020. So um, before I even moved, I had this episode mapped out, and I picked it up twice. I picked it up again, I want to say September of last year or two after I had moved. Um, picked it up a couple of different times and my spirit just never let me release it or finish it or even get close to recording it. And I understand why now. So in this episode, I am going to be talking about healing through sexual traumas and strengthening sisterhood as it pertains to the color purple. So typically my episodes have three segments. There is spiritual stuff, there's current events, and then um, celebrity business. I forgot what I named that segment, but whatever. Um, So it's going to go a little different. I'm not going to do a spiritual segment. Um, I'm going to tie that into the main um, message of the podcast. And then um, I'll go into my current events, very politically incorrect how I do. And then we'll go ahead and get into celebrity business at the end of the episode. So let's go ahead and get into it. Sister, you've been on my mind. Oh, sister, with 
two of a kind soul sister I'm keeping my eyes on you so if you're black I'm sure you've seen the color purple and I'm almost sure you've seen it when you were around four like I did because the movie's so old um it's become like a black parody we all know all the lines you told Harpo to beat me um doing the clap when we miss our friends or when we leaving people like Celia and Nettie so um it's just a movie that all black people have seen and that I personally um overlook the significance of because of it so um being older and actually being in this kind of uh, spiritual state that I'm in I kind of overread everything and the color purple is one of those things and the color purple is actually way more complex and um, I've done extensive research on it it's way more complex than what I believe not believed it was but more way more complex than what my little mind could have gathered when I first started watching it so um, I did some extensive research on it. Like I said, I started this podcast a year ago. So um, I did some extensive research. I've watched it a good hundred times since then. Done some reading, um, read the book, just really dived into the actual message behind The Color Purple. And it touches so many issues as far as sexuality, um, sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, family trauma, um, the importance of sisterhood, just a lot that I feel is rather relevant to the way that um, I need to give this message. So y'all know me and I'm a teacher, so I'm going to always tie things into things to help my lesson, whether it's my own story or whether it be a movie or a book or a fun character that I can get you to relate to. So what I did was take um, the four main characters, the four main characters that are women, and um, I used them each to describe the type of woman that we are or the type of woman that you become after being um, sexually abused or just the type of woman that we are, period. Um, while we endure this type of abuse in as well as tying it into the importance of sisterhood. So um, each character has their own different story, different characteristics. And I feel like each of them, we can either relate to one of them or some of us in all of them. So um I'm going to just get right into it. So basically, I'm doing a character analysis. And what I want you to do when you're listening is see which character you can relate the most to and get your message from that. So the character I'm going to start with is the main character. We've got Miss Seeley. So um, Seeley is not your average pretty girl. And I just want to get into that really quick. People say that, oh, I'm not your average pretty girl or I'm, you know, not not the not the girl in the magazine. And it's like nobody is not even the girl in the magazine is the girl in the magazine due to filters. And we think that being, you know, this we have this high standard of beauty that just doesn't exist due to the Internet, due to 
men due to the TV, due to images that we see from the time they were little. So um, it's actually very average to be average and average is beautiful. So um, just want to say that because I hear a lot of people and see a lot of people say that or describe, describe themselves as such. So um, we'll get back into Celie's characteristics. So not your average pretty girl, low self-esteem, quiet, don't want to bother nobody, um, covers her smile, does anything to not be seen, don't want to start no trouble, typically walked all over, um, do anything for everybody, even if you don't want to. Um, another characteristic about Celie, um, which is what I thought was rather interesting, and also what a lot of women go through is she had the most unfortunate luck. She was quote unquote ugly. She was the one that was raped by their dad. She had the two kids. She was spoiled as they called it. Um, she was married off at 15. She was beaten. Um, she couldn't get an education. She had to be a stepmom to those badass kids. Um, I mean, ultimately, and if you read the book, it'll go into more detail about this. She was gay, so she couldn't express herself, um, properly, especially back in those days, um, as far as who she loved. And then, um, she didn't get her breakthrough until she was old, um, ultimately, which was getting her kids back, getting that inheritance, um, getting land, getting her store, doing what she loved finally. Um, and she got her sister back and ultimately her freedom. So those were Miss Seeley's characteristics. Until you do right by me, everything you think about is going to cry. Don't do it, Miss Seeley. Don't trade places with what I've been through. character we're going to go into is Miss Suge Avery. Um, she was raised in the church and that can go one of two ways because being raised in a church, there is so much church hurt that I received that I don't go to church as an adult. So um, there is one avenue with it. And then some may say being raised in church gives you morals, gives you a level head. And some people are actually doing well that were raised in church. Um, she had a dad, looks like she had both parents. Um, it doesn't give too much background on how she ultimately got the way that she was, but pretty much she got caught up in the lusts and desires of the world. Um, she's promiscuous, be partying, don't take care of her kids. Um, overly shows her body, you know, I, I love my body, um, which is really deep down inside of insecurity because people that do that know that that's how they get attention. So 
that's what they do, even if it's subconscious. Anybody that really, really loves and cherishes their body ain't going to be outside naked. Um, she was a drunk and a drug addict, mean to other women, telling Miss Seeley, you show is ugly. Um, negative Nancy, just a hot ass mess, really. Hot ass mess. Reasoning could be valid, but a hot ass mess at the end of the day. What is it with this sugar Avery? She black as tall, nappy headed, uh, got legs like baseball bats. My own daddy won't even have nothing to do with her. Oh, Mr. Talking Trash about sugar. Folks don't like nobody being too proud or too free. Now she no more than a juke joint Jezebel. Why, she ain't even clean. And I hear she's got that nasty women's disease. You ain't got it in you to understand. I love Sugar Avery. Always have, always will. Should have married her when I had a chance. Throwed your life away, and a right smart amount of money with it. Plus, I hear all our children's got different daddies. It's all too trifling and confused. All Sugar Avery's children got the same daddy. I can vouch you for can that. You can vouch for nothing. Sugar Avery didn't set the population of Hotwell County a new high. You just one of the rusters, boy. Um, the next character we're going to go ahead and get into is Miss Sophia. Miss All My Life, I Had to Fight. Mike Tyson ass bitch. Um, very outspoken. Loud. You going to hear me scream into the world how unweak you are, which really shows your weakness. A fighter. Angry. Mad at the world can't be led or told what to do so headstrong to the point where you'll literally go to jail standing up for some shit that you don't even need to be standing up for just to prove a point the it's the principal ass bitch she was filled with so much anger that she couldn't even be loved properly like so mad that she couldn't even tell who really loved her for real you told Hoppo to beat me all my life, I had to fight. I had to fight my daddy. I had to fight my uncles. I had to fight my brothers. Girl, child ain't safe in the family means. But I ain't never thought I had to fight in my own house. I love Hoppo. God knows I do. But I kill him dead before I let him be. Now, you want a dead son-in-law, Miss Seeley? You keep on advising him like you do him. This life be over soon. Heaven lasts always. Girl, you ought to bash Mr.'s head open and think about heaven later. So the next character we're going to get into is Nettie, um, the sister of Seeley, the one who got away, the one who was able to get the education, the pretty one, the one who made it out, the one who wasn't touched, 
the one who was pretty much shielded from everything because everything happened to Seely. So um, she gives, it didn't happen to me, but I saw it. Um, no direct trauma. Nothing's wrong with me because nothing happened to me, but it happened around you and I guarantee you've got some trauma too. Um, sometimes women with these characteristics have their nose up to, um, those women who weren't able to be as lucky as them and get away or those women who were, you know, raped or those types of situations like that. Um, they think because they weren't extremely traumatized as far as being raped or anything like that, um, or they come from a good home that they don't have the right to be traumatized when actually it could be something as small as somebody hugging you with an erection and boom, you traumatized or something as small as something somebody said to you and boom, you traumatized. Like nobody's a gatekeeper of trauma. It doesn't matter what somebody did to you, how they did to you, how they did it to you. If you didn't like it or it made you feel away, that's your trauma. Um, or, you know, they, they give the, like I said, the one who made it out, um, you're doing too well to be worried about your trauma or what you went through. The quote unquote, I'm the one who has it together. I'm not like the rest of them. You know, they crazy or that abuse made them go crazy and I kept it together. So I got to keep it together. So they never deal with the trauma. Um, you know, or like I said, like life is too good. We also have women who feel like, you know, life is too good. Can't nobody know what I went through or, you know, look down on their own trauma so much so that they don't own it or what they went through that they don't own it because life is too good. You're the pretty one. You got all this stuff going on. You know what I'm saying? Like people don't think that stuff like that or something like that could have happened to you or um, just because you, you know, can fight mentally or you've done well mentally as far as keeping yourself together doesn't mean that you don't deserve strength or sympathy or love or to be able to tell your story. That goes for people that were able to carry themselves mentally or those who didn't go through um, something as extreme as rape. Like I said, your trauma is your trauma and it could have been something so small to somebody else that was major to you. It's yours and you still deserve to tell your story. So those are the characteristics that I got from Nettie. Um, in the movie and book, they don't go too in depth into her character. So these are things that I pulled from the basic characteristics that I have and what I saw as far as watching the movie. Um, and I feel like they do well in tie into um, the example that I was trying to give of the category of woman that she creates or her category of woman that, um, you know, you guys would fall into. When you couldn't talk, I'm going to climb on top of you and do my business before you can say amen. You're going to have to leave here soon before he makes his move on you. Now, um, what would I do if I couldn't talk to you? We could write. I can't sit down too. Then I'll just have to go to school for both of us. And we'll both on real hard before he breaks us apart. Yeah. <laughs> so now that I've given a character analysis of each character, um, 
I hope that you found your character. Are you a Celie? Are you a Sophia? Are you a Suge Avery? Or are you a Nettie? And with all these characters being so different, I feel like I have, there's a piece of me or there's something in me that I see in each one of these characters. So in true Jayla form, I'm going to tell my story to help you guys through yours. And I'm also healing while helping you guys heal to tell my story. And I don't even know why I got the words or where I got the words healing uh, through sexual trauma because. Uh, it wasn't even it wasn't intended to be like a healing episode. I was really just dissecting characters and tying it into sexual abuse and generational abuse and generational curses when it comes to sexual abuse. Um, so a form of healing or um, a, a form of healing is telling your story or just talking about it, period. So hopefully hearing my story helps you or heals you a certain way, or it gives you the strength to go see a therapist or talk to somebody you know, um, tell the police, tell a family member, confront your the person who did it to you or confront the people who hurt you, confront the people who knew but didn't say anything to help you get through it or get past it. Um, so here it is. Um, the earliest member that I earliest memory that I have and bear with me because I don't think that I've, I've never told my story in full to anybody that isn't very close to me, which isn't that many people I can count on one hand, how many people know this story. Um, and it's very deep. So bear with me if I stumble over my words or if I cry, just hand me a tissue virtually. <laughs> so um, the earliest memory that I have is being maybe four. Um, I was at the bottom of my dad's. He wasn't even my dad. This guy. Um, who thought he was my dad. I was at the bottom of his bed while him and his girlfriend were having sex and she was kicking me. So not that I was sexually abused at that time, but that's my first memory that I have, the earliest memory that I have. Them having sex and her kicking me in the bed. Um, so I wasn't a stranger to sex when I began to be abused because of that. Um, when I was, again, from the ages of four to six, I was molested by a girl. She was, I want to say maybe five years older than me. So she was a child too. Um, and that's something that's not talked about enough, how other children abuse children um and clearly she got it from somewhere but I was abused by a young girl um she would make me perform oral sex on her and do it to me up until I was around six and I always knew something was wrong with it but when I hit six I'm sure I could you know communicate verbally better and I told her one night I remember it vividly that I was going to go tell on her um, and that she shouldn't make me do that anymore and 
Um, a lot of my memory is gone due to trauma, but I don't remember anything happening to me after that. But that went on for a couple years. Um, at the age of eight, one of my cousins, who was also a child, molested me. Um, I still remember I had on some little brat's panties, and I remember pulling my panties down and having blood in them and thinking that I was going to get in trouble because I had blood in my panties. Um, and then when my mother got married, my mother got married when I was seven and, um, her husband at the time was very, very sexually and mentally and physically abusive. And I endured that abuse until I left home. They got married when I was seven and, um, the first year from when I can remember, everything was fine. Um, he groomed us and my mother so well that by the time everything had come out as far as who he was and by the time he was doing everything he was doing to us full force, we were too deep into it. Um, so he started off by, he would call it playing, like he was wrestling with us. But he would be, you know, touching on us. I remember that pink song, Party Started. The chorus is, I'm coming out so you better get this party started. He had a version that when he was singing, I can't believe she just dropped her panties and just farted. And he would pull our panties down and stick his finger in our butts. Um, so it started off with stuff like that. Um, he had a game called the nipple popper where he would like slam us down on the bed and then pull our shirts up and suck our nipples. Um, and then we would do it back to him. I just recently found a picture of myself. I was a little girl. I had to have been about nine and, um, they had these little wooden massagers and one of them was in the back of the picture and I blocked this memory out. I forgot about it until I saw that massager in the back of that picture. He would make us massage his penis with that. He would make us roll the little wooden massager on his penis. He would fondle us. Um, he would do this thing where he would act like he was just about to touch our vaginas and then stop and then make us do the same thing to him. Um, one day I did it to him and I saw his penis. Um, he was very sick. I remember the he adopted me and they made me go through like a debutante program ball little thing where all the little girls wore white dresses and swore their virginity until they got married so we did that program it was called daughters of destiny and that night um this was when they would put in a newspaper name changes so he had the newspaper and he was like um so this is our wedding um we got married tonight and look right here i couldn't even read the damn thing he was like um look see you got my last name we married now i'm 10 i don't know what the hell is going on i'm uncomfortable as a bitch and that's just the shit that we went through. Um, days upon days, we couldn't go anywhere. Everybody always had to come to our house. So 
I was just always there. I didn't meet my biological father until I was 14. So I didn't have any other family's houses to go to. And because of that, and because he knew that he didn't let me go anywhere. Um, when I got to about middle school and started liking boys, I would get the worst punishments ever. Um, I remember Valentine's Day, my boyfriend at the time, his name was David. He bought me so much little Dollar Tree stuff. I was that girl, okay, in the hallways in sixth grade at Morris with all my little stuff, all my balloons. I felt so pretty. Mind you, we're in sixth grade. There's nothing going on. We don't see each other outside of school. Like, it was so cute and innocent. And um, when I got home, he made me throw all my gifts away, told me I was a hoe. I wasn't ever going to be nothing. I was going to be just like my sister, um, ripped my clothes off, called the school, told them, make sure we separated, don't have him around her. Like, did the most. Um, I remember that night, too, he, when I got home from school, he whooped me. Um, he made me take my pants off and my panties, so I'm ass naked while he whooping me with a bell and tossing me all around and squeezing and sucking on my titties, talking about, oh, this what you wanted, huh? This the attention you wanted, huh? Because this what you want from boys, right? I'm 12. Like, the fuck? Couldn't never go nowhere. Couldn't never have boyfriends. Everything I ever did was heightened to the max. I was always not shit. I was always a hack job. I was always black ass. I was always whole. I was always fast. I wasn't never going to be shit. I was always going to be pregnant before 16. Just planting these seeds within me that I had no interest in. Um, He would always tell me I was a follower. The whole time I'd be the ringleader of shit. Just everything about my character, he would scream the opposite of. Oh, you not smart, you stupid. Just mentally abusing on top of being physically abusive. We didn't just get whoopings. We got pinched, pop punched, all of that shit. I remember him damn near knocking me out one time, like seeing stars after him punching me in the back of my head. Just terrible. Um, When I got... It's about eighth grade. I that was that, that's the last sexual um, experience that I remember having. I blocked a lot of it out. Mind you, this is going on from the time I'm seven, eight to fourteen. I want to say, um, just a mess. He did everything but penetrate us, literally. And I can't say the same for my little sister because I didn't even know that the same thing was happening to her because. I thought everything was happening to me. It's like, how did you find time to do this shit to her too? So, um, he did everything but penetrate us. I was 14, too old to be getting fondled on and played with without damn near killing myself. My little sister had already tried to kill herself, my older sister. And it's just like he moved from sexual abuse to full out physical mental abuse. High school, all up until I left the house, I was physically abused. And when he couldn't physically abuse me anymore because he had moved us to West Bend 
which we actually lived in Jackson, Wisconsin, which is about 15 minutes before you hit West Bend. No black people. Me and my little sister, the only black kids at this white ass high school. Um, basically so that nobody could get to us. It was high school. He know that kids start running away and feeling themselves around their age. So he moved us out far to where we couldn't do it. So, um, we out in the middle of nowhere. And at that time, NPS made you have more credits than suburban schools to graduate. So I had more credits than the students out there. So I was able to graduate early. I'm like, okay, there's no way that I'm going to be able to get out of this situation without exceeding academically so I can graduate early so I can get the fuck out of this house because clearly ain't nobody going to help me but me. So um, I graduated a semester early. During that time, um, I attended a CNA program and became the youngest CNA in the state of Wisconsin in 2010. I was 16. So um, I started working. When I started working, he took my phone. Okay, I bought a, I bought myself another phone. Well, then, okay, well, now you got to pay rent because you think you grown. Okay, I start paying rent. Okay, well, now you got to buy your own food and buy your own, excuse me, buy your own toiletries because you think you grown. So I'm literally taking care of myself at the age of 16, trying to figure out what's next in life. Um, I was already into nursing, so I was supposed to go to Mount Mary for nursing and commute but I knew I wasn't going to do that shit because I wouldn't stand in a house. So I applied for Whitewater because um, it was the only school that I didn't have to pay out of pocket at that moment for that I could live on campus. It wasn't too far. They didn't even have my major. Um, it wasn't too far. It, I knew that I could come home on the weekends. And um, just until I could figure something out the next point in life because I knew that I was too young to get my own apartment. Um, on top of that, I was all the way in the middle of nowhere. So, um, I didn't have many resources or anything to move out on my own. So I applied to Whitewater, did my own everything, application, FAFSA, whole nine. And I applied to Whitewater. When he got my, um, acceptance letter for Whitewater, he cussed me out, told me I wasn't going to be shit. I was going to school to party and fuck niggas. All kind of shit. Wasn't happy with it at all. Made me pay my own dorm deposit. Told me he wasn't helping one bit since I made the decision to go there and wasn't going to do nothing with it. So I was saving my money. I was working. I threw my own trunk party. My mama cooked the food, but I bought it with my own money. I took the gifts that I got from my trunk party, the little dorm checkoff list that they give you for white water. And use the rest of the money I saved to buy all my own shit for my dorm. And they dropped me off at Whitewater and I didn't look back. Um, it wasn't until 2017 that I had the full courage and the understanding of what had actually happened to me growing up. And the fact that I had a fucked up childhood and upbringing. I had a fear and a phobia of going home, even to my own house as being an adult. It didn't matter if it was my dorm, my own apartment. I had a fear of going home. My stomach would drop and I would almost cry when it was time to go home because that was how I felt going home as a kid. I still, when we lived on 52nd and Villa in this house, I still remember the hallway what it smelled like and what it looked like walking through that front door thinking if I could just drop dead, that'd be great. 
or I'll be so glad when I don't have to come to this bitch no more. And imagine being 13, 12, thinking like, damn, I still got a good 10 years to deal with this shit before I can even legally go somewhere. I had a fear of going home. Up until 2017 when I got a therapist. And the first day I went to her, she was like, well, why are you here? And I was like, I don't know. Ain't nothing really wrong with me. I ain't really go through nothing that nobody else, you know, didn't. And she was like, well, tell me about your childhood. What's your earliest memory? And I I went into the office high, laughing, thinking it was a joke, and left shaking and crying, talking about my childhood. And it wasn't until that day that I realized, like I said, how fucked up shit was and what I actually endured as a child. Um, because of that and because of having to be on my own and take care of myself as a young adult, I didn't have no help at 18, 19. So I'm literally in the streets getting help anyway. Fucking with niggas or older niggas that took advantage of me that I shouldn't have been around. Um, I was raped when I was drunk. My first UWM party. I went with my friend and she got drunk and these dudes were supposed to be driving us home. I passed out. One of them had sex with me. Um, just went through a lot and was exposed to a lot because of what I went through and not wanting to go back home or just not having that proper guidance and not having the confidence to myself, not feeling like I was important because of what I went through and how much I had been put down. I started to believe a lot of the shit that he said about me and was just like, well, it was destiny, like he said, for me to become a hoe. So that's what I was doing, just out here. I got into Percocets before they were a thing, before Future started rapping about them. Because I went to school with white kids, I knew about all the drugs before they became cool. Um, I had a surgery. They prescribed me Percocets, and I was taking the motherfuckers. Percocets feel like you've smoked 10 blunts, and you don't remember anything. Um, Like I said, I just was on the wrong path, just being exposed to a lot, doing a lot, just really lost because of all that trauma that I endured and went through and really blocked out and was acting off impulse because I was so hurt and I was so angry and I was so scarred and I had no clue why. Being a pretty young black girl, um, unfortunately in this world, um, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. So I've been experiencing sexual abuse on small and large scales since I was a little girl, just People touching me, people feeling comfortable to say very inappropriate things to me because of the way my body is shaped. Just a lot, a lot. And um, I hadn't been raped or touched to the extreme. I thought that for years, I thought that that aspect or that part of my life was over. Um, I figured I'd endured enough sexual trauma for it to continue happening to me. So 
this coming Sunday, a month ago, I was raped brutally again in the comfort of my own home. It is currently an open case, so I can't say much about it or really give any details, but just know that I was in the comfort of my own home and I was brutally raped. I was making a cake and cooking and I started taking shots before I could eat. So I was drunk way quicker than I intended to be and really drunk and didn't what didn't intend to even be drunk. I didn't even really intend on drinking. And um, the last thing I remember is singing The Boy Is Mine. And that was at around 6.30. And I was already super lit at that time. I woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning, ass naked in a pool full of blood, sheets on the ground. It was just a, a terrible scene, and I didn't know what the hell had happened to me. Um, somebody came into my home and brutally raped me and left. Um, again, it's an open case, so I can't discuss it. I can't release any names or really any details of the case because it is still open. Um, because of the severity of the scene, it is a high-priority case. Um, a rape kit was done, a toxicology report was done, and it rocked my whole world. Um, I figure being the person that I am now, as far as I've come, as much as I've already had to endure as a kid and as an adult, that God just wouldn't let that kind of stuff happen to me no more. Um, being spiritually enlightened, I had a whole altar room in my house, not just the altar, not just a couple candles. My ancestors have a whole room in my house that's directly next to my room where that shit happened at. Um, I figured... It was my fault. Maybe I should have ate. Had I not been drunk, this wouldn't have happened to me. I should have been a little smarter about who I had around. I don't know. I just was in a frenzy, lost in my own thoughts about how I could have prevented this my whole time. It had nothing to do with me. It wasn't my fault. And I was in the comforts of my own home. And it don't matter if I was walking around this bitch ass naked saying, fuck me. The moment I said no. Or the moment I say no. It should end. I there's nothing that I or anybody else who has been molested could have done to make the situation their fault. Some people are just sick. And unfortunately in the world, there is good and there is evil. And your path is not going to be all flowers and daisies. You have to endure some evil. And that's just some evil that I had to endure. 
that I stumbled upon that had nothing to do with me, but everything to do with that person because I know I wasn't the first, but I can damn sure guarantee you I'm going to be the last. Um, I tried to kill myself. I went on multiple social media rants. I did not sleep. I sat in front of my door for a week. I did not eat. I barely showered. Um, one day I took multiple showers because I just felt like I couldn't get clean. I was humiliated during getting the rape kit because they have to take pictures of your vagina. Um, I had to listen to the statement that he gave about what he did to me after he admitted to what he did after finding out that they did a rape kit. Um, I was angry at God, at everybody around me. I was mad at my ancestors because you feel like you do so much and you have all this faith. What, how the hell did this happen to me? And it wasn't even at a capacity to where I could have done some. I was literally passed out. Pat, don't I, and, and, and I thank God that I, I don't remember it. I don't remember anything. Like I said, I remember seeing the boy's mind and then waking up, beat the hell up in pools of blood. I don't remember nothing. There was no way I could have defended myself or put a stop to that. And it's like, how could I have been so helpless after being a kid and teaching myself how to survive that kind of shit? How the hell did this happen to me again at this stage in life? Um, it shatters your confidence in a way that is unexplainable unless you know from experience. It's life-changing in a way that, yes, this has happened to me before, but time has passed and I've blocked the majority of that out. How could this new, refreshed, healed version of me experience some trauma like that again and be okay. Um, something that's still very hard to deal with, but like I said, I'm healing myself as I'm talking about this and I hope I'm healing y'all telling my story because yes, that shit does happen. It's still very prevalent and it, it happened to me. Somebody that you see online all the time or in person all the time, it, it happened to me. Yes, at this stage. Yes, during the process of healing. Yes, being spiritually enlightened. Yes, having a whole altar room. Yes, praying every day. It happened to me. And again, um, 
I've been each and every one of these characters. I was Miss Seeley when my mother's ex-husband would say, oh, you ain't shit or you a hack job or you're a follower or you this or you're that. I would hide my smile. I would hide my color. I hated being as dark as I was up until it became cool to have melanin. I thought that I was darker than what I was because of that. Definitely had some sugar in me in the world, having sex, being promiscuous in my, you know, and during those days. I grew up in church too, you know what I'm saying? On the outside looking in, I had a, 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 a good home or a mom and a stepdad too. Out here doing perks. Being should, being a hot ass mess. I was for sure Sophia. Mad at the fucking world. Angry. I'm talking so mad inside that I'm I can literally feel my blood boiling. Burning with anger. Fighting the world. So mad at everybody that I can't even realize or even accept real love. I can't even tell who loves me for real and who don't because I'm so mad and I'm so angry. So headstrong that you couldn't tell me shit and I couldn't be led because ain't nobody going to be able to play me or ain't nobody going to be able to take advantage of me like they did before. Definitely been netty too. Well, I wasn't never homeless or I wasn't never poor. We always had what we wanted. So I guess my trauma not that bad. Or he didn't penetrate me, so I can't really tell those stories or I can't have that trauma like, you know, those other girls do. Shit, I got it together. People can't know what the fuck I got going on. I can't be telling nobody what happened to me. That was the biggest issue of this rape, this this current rape. Even after it happened, even after knowing I wasn't okay, even after trying to kill myself, I still was trying to keep it together because I'm the one that keeps it together. And obviously I didn't do a good job at it because like I said, I was going on social media rants. I just wasn't okay. And there was no way that I could hide that. I had no clue how I was going to make it or how I was going to be okay because I was so puzzled trying to figure out the whys of what happened to me rather than focusing on my own healing and being okay. Um, but I'm here now talking to y'all, so I got to be some kind of okay. Uh, my mother came into town for about a week and cleaned up real good for me and made me dinner and prayed over my house and prayed over me. Um, I did some extensive spiritual baths to cleanse myself got a yoni steam I started journaling um I started praying because initially I didn't have the words to say to pray because I was so angry I started praying um it was literally the strength of my mother and the people that were there for me that got me here to where I am God when I finally started praying, um, because there was no strength there on my own that I had, but I'm okay. And every day is different. So 
Some days I wake up and I'm okay. Some days I wake up and I'm angry. Some days I wake up and I'm sad. Some days I wake up and I'm traumatized. I was in the hospital um, during finals. So when this happened, the following day was finals for me. And because I was in the hospital, I missed finals. So I felt defeated. Some days I still feel defeat with having to repeat that quarter because in culinary school, you cannot make up finals. Um, there are a lot of emotions that I feel and they're mixed. And that's how it is when this type of, you know, stuff happens to you every day is different. Every day is a, a new challenge. Every day is a new opportunity to heal. Um, I had to start forcing myself to get up and get dressed and get out the house and get some sun, go have a laugh, watch a funny movie. Um, it literally takes you for you to be okay because nobody else can do it for you. Um, the strength and prayers of others encouraging me and building my strength is actually what got me here. It, this situation opened my eyes to a multitude of things and I look at several different things differently. And had I known that it was my own additional rape that was going to give me the strength and even the words to complete this episode properly, what (laughs) I I don't know I would have deleted the episode I would have never done it like I just I don't know you listen had you would have told me even um even two months ago that that would have happened to me I would have looked at you like you was crazy not me but due to that I'm here to give my testimony to y'all I can give it to y'all there are things that I see differently that I'm able to point out to help myself and help others so all in all I hope that my story gave you hope seeing me seeing how I'm thriving now and was able to make it out of that shit can help you or somebody you know to keep going to Get some help with your trauma to start your healing journey, to strengthen your healing journey, all of that. Um, I hope that I was able to help in some way, even if it's just one person telling my story. So, yeah. So now that the character analysis is out of the way, now that we've identified what type of woman we are, Now that I've told my story to tell you guys how I resonated with each of the characters, um, I want to go into the importance of sisterhood as it ties into the movie as well. With each of these characters being so different, they all needed each other and helped each other in some way. Um, Celie needed Suge to bring out her confidence. Suge needed Celie. For, you know, to become grounded and to help her with her confidence. And Sophia needed Celie to help her and bring her out of her shell after she had come home. 
and Seely and Nettie needed each other indefinitely with them being sisters. I feel like Seely protected Nettie, you know, growing up and Nettie um, raised Seely's kids and came back and got Seely. And Nettie was like um, Seely's escape growing up um, because of her innocence. She was able to teach her because she was able to go to school. All in all, these women coming from so many different walks, being so different, going through all this different stuff and all these different types of abuse were able to help each other. Um, and I think that it's so important to be a sister to your sister. Women are the most powerful beings in the world. We literally birth motherfuckers like Everything comes from us. We are the source. And I feel like how people talk about black people like, oh, if they just, you know, join together, they would be so powerful. If women join together, the amount of power that would be had would be so damn unfair. It would make no sense. And that's why there's so much stuff put into the atmosphere to toss us against each other, whether it be jealousy, whether it be men. Whether it just be shit, stupid women catty shit that just exists to draw us away from each other. Ultimately, it draws us away from each other and diminishes our power. It doesn't matter how powerful you are all by yourself. Dear, you are nothing without a team or without your sisters, which would be other women. And I realized that there has been women that I've seen that are so gifted and so talented and so knowledgeable and then when you get to know them you realize that they hate women and that kind of takes away everything that that person or that woman has for me because she hates women and if you hate women you hate yourself literally if you hate other women or if you find something to hate in other women you ultimately hate yourself um it's so important to have sisterhood I feel so bad for women who do not I literally would not be where I am right now without sisterhood without having women standing in the gap for me when I couldn't stand in the gap for myself um and you have people that run around and say shit like I don't need friends or no new friends and you really do you really need a form of sisterhood to stay sane at all in this day and age hell any day and age everybody needs somebody and it's so important to not only be there for yourself but be there for others um it's just as important to be a good friend and to have a good friend because you have to be what you are looking for be you know reciprocate what you're given and those are the two biggest issues of sisterhood here um the fact that we are at war with each other one and the fact that a lot of y'all don't know how to be friends for real we are black that's whammy number one whammy number two is that we are women again we are at the bottom of the totem pole Nobody understands us but us. So imagine being a black woman in a world where nobody fucking likes you for real. And then the people that are you don't like you either. Like, 
that is the most fucked up predicament to be in. And that's the predicament that a lot of us are in. We don't have no real support systems because again, everybody's at war with each other. We don't feel comfortable telling each other business. We don't feel comfortable, you know, leaning on somebody. Somebody's always talking about somebody. Somebody's always breaking girl code, which is very real. Like somebody's always being weird or it's always some type of underlying drama or jealousy. And it's terrible to not have real sisterhood. Um, It's terrible to be one of those people who are a good sister, but you don't have that reciprocated to you. So, for example... When I got raped, two of my closest friends were just not there. Um, initially, yes, they were, oh, my God, I'm sorry that happened to you, um, you know, texting. And by the next day, nobody had text. Nobody had called. And I looked in our group chat and it was literally just me giving updates with them sending one word shit like, Wow. Um, and these are two people who I would have given the world to in my life for, um, been a great friend to the both of them. And that sisterhood wasn't reciprocated. I literally just told the both of them that I didn't want to be alive and I was going to kill myself. And it was all, well, we didn't call you today. Like you just only check on a person who was just brutally raped for one fucking day. Um, Sent me into a rage because I feel like I am such a good friend. I stand in the gap and am that sister for the people who I consider my sisters so well that it should be reciprocated. And when I needed them, when I couldn't be strong for myself, when I needed somebody to be calling and talking to me, it didn't even matter what they said because I wasn't even listening to what people were saying. I just needed somebody to be there. They weren't there. And I feel like there was no excuse for that at all. And I cut them off and I don't feel like I'm wrong and I will probably never speak to them again. There are guidelines and standards to being a friend that people don't uphold or live up to and I feel like that's a big issue and I feel like I am no longer giving out that energy that's not reciprocated to me um I read this thing basically that gives quote-unquote qualities of being a good friend or how to be a good friend and it's don't break prom- don't break promises. Admit when you're wrong. Stay in touch. Forgive others. Help others in their struggles. Be a good listener. Be respectful. Be loyal. Watch from back. Introduce them to others and be dependable. Share, compromise, give compliments, listen, be respectful, be a good sport. Let your friends have other friends. Friendly friendly voice and body language at all times. Teach them something new. Use kind words. Accept differences. Problem solve. And share feelings. A lot of times what I see in friendships is either one party giving all the energy or that one person is who everybody comes to for advice when they need to borrow something or just period. One person is typically always the giver. 
and then you've got takers that give just a little bit, the bare minimum just to stay in, to keep you in, to give all that you give, but aren't really a giver. So you've got this one person giving all this energy while the rest of the group is just taking. Or you've got a group where everybody just fucking weird. Nobody really fucking like each other, but they all be together taking Instagram pictures together. Or you have those girls that just don't have friends at all because they feel like the whole world out to get them. And it really don't got to be like that. I feel like if sisterhood was more important to all of us, myself being guilty, a lot of situations we wouldn't, a lot of us wouldn't go through a lot of the situations that we go through. For one, there would be protection. There would be prayer. There would be somebody again to stand in that gap for you when you can't stand in it for yourself. Somebody that'll probably talk you out of some dumb shit or, you know, steer you the right way. Sisterhood is so important on so many different levels because even in biblical times, it was the women, the groups of women, the sisters that were praying and keeping the world together and keeping the communities together and keeping everybody and everything sane. One person is powerful. One tongue is powerful. But when you've got more than one, there is power in numbers. When I couldn't stand in the gap for myself, when that situation happened to me, I had people close to me. I had sisters that were praying on my behalf, working on my behalf because I couldn't. Had I not had that again, I wouldn't be here. I've been able to be that sister to other people to keep them sane, to keep them alive. I've witnessed other people being great sisters to people. And it's just something that, especially being black women, we got love and hip hop. We got real housewives. We got the shade room. There are so many things that drive us apart from each other. It's from these niggas to even stupid shit like designer. There's so much shit that keeps us away from each other and at war with each other because motherfuckers know that if us black women all indulged in sisterhood the way that we needed to, how in danger they the fuck would be and how powerful we would be. And we all need to hold ourselves accountable and do better as far as sisterhood. I'm going to hold myself accountable and do better and be a better sister to my actual sisters, be a better friend in ways that I can to my friends, as well as letting motherfuckers know when they're not being good friends and cutting them off and not giving them that energy so that they can learn, you know, for their next go around or for their, you know, friends they still have how to be a better friend to them. We all got to do better. We all have our moments. We're all catty. We're all messy. We're all ugh, be having this weird energy to each other. Jealousy, it all. And it just needs to stop. I see things so differently because now it's like a us against them war. Not, not a war, but it's literally us against them. Us being black women, being this special species. It's really us against the world. Even our own black men don't protect us. So we need each other to protect each other. And that's just that. A lone black woman without her sisters is like a sheep in a pack full of wolves. We all got to do better. We all got to make sisterhood a priority. We all got to do better at girl code and keeping those rules very much so alive and prominent. We all got to do better. Mothers with y'all daughters. 
do better. And this shit is just generational. There's just so much hurt and just chaos. And a lot goes into the way that things are with uh, the way that things are the way they are from sexual trauma to us not liking each other as black women. There is so much and it's on us to break those generational curses and break the curses of the land and come together. And that's just period. (laughs) Okay. As far as current events, I have not been watching no news. Um, I've been over here depressed as a bitch. So the news is not going to make me more depressed, but I did see some shit online about the government running out of money. And I don't have nothing to say other than stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. Obviously, we are living in the book of revelations and the world is about to end. So get right with God, Buddha, uh, universe, whomever you decide to praise or worship. And yeah, stay ready so you ain't got to get ready because clearly this shit is about to end. And I don't see shit getting better or dying down from the damn corona and these vaccines to this abortion law where people can't get abortions to the food shortages to the water supply. I don't see none of it getting better. Get in community with the people around you. Get in sisterhood with your sisters. And start to become fully dependent on yourself and your village take your money out these banks i've seen that too anything over 600 dollars being taxed put into your bank account shit's wild and i don't see it settling down no time soon so get ready and stay prayed up for real i don't have nothing politically incorrect to say because Yeah, this shit is scary. Get ready. Prepare yourself. Live right. And study the Amish. Because looks like we're going to be living like they asses if we want to stay alive. All right. And for celebrity news, business, all of that, again, I don't know what's been going on because I've been having my own shit going on. But I do see that R. Kelly has finally been found guilty. All I got to say is finally. Um, I also have to say, if you still talk about you listening to him, all that shit, that's a weird flex. Seeing as how there's solid, hard proof of the shit that he did that he's been doing for years that we all knew. I don't care if y'all feel like them kids' parents put them in that predicament, sold them out, any of that. The facts are that he did it. And I don't fuck with that shit. And I don't fuck with nobody who fuck with him. Literally, people still okaying him and his music are the reasons why... The uncles and aunties in the family who be molesting motherfuckers are still invited to the dinner. That shit is not okay. And motherfuckers need to be X'd off the island. Period. All his music, rightfully so, is deleted off YouTube, Apple Music, all the rest of that. And it needs to be. He needs to be muted and he needs to be in jail for the rest of his life. I haven't seen one person talking about 
oh, he needs to be treated mentally. Hell no. If that treat his ass mentally in jail, period. There is no excuse for anything he did. There was solid proof and he's right where the hell he needs to be. I don't think that this shit is funny. I don't think it's a joke. I also seen a status, somebody talking about some, we need to mind our business as fans and the music is different. Granted, the art is different from the artist, but the artist profits off the art. And in order for that artist to receive the punishment that they need, they don't need to be supported. Meaning the art doesn't need to be supported, meaning his music needs to fucking go. Do the cha-cha slide. Y'all don't have to step in the love that bad. Step, step in the name of whatever the fuck y'all, y'all don't have to do it. I read something that the black sea siren posted. Um, it was a series of tweets and they definitely touched my heart, especially after what's happened to me currently. And she said, the world is not a safe place for women and girls because men cannot take rejection. Men feel entitled to women's bodies, time and energy. We tell women and children to lock doors at night. And that is not enough because now men are abusing jobs using master keys and coming in homes. We tell women to politely decline a man's cat call, but when she does, she is still harassed or beat up because men don't like the word no. Men be out here old as fuck dating girls in high school and it's okay because he cool or he got money or it's the girl, or it's the girl's fault when that man is an adult because she's fast. We can have evidence, testimony, all the things about a man's sexual abuse, but because he is a celebrity, it's okay. We tell girls how they should dress in their home to prevent male gaze, but who is teaching the men to not behave like murderous wild animals and children? We live in a world where women as a whole are the least protected, but people have the highest expectations of us. Women are out here getting abused and raped and killed and body rights are being taken away and they have to smile and nod when they're afraid. She posted that with the caption that says, everybody gets in a tinsy when I say things like this, but look at the news, listen to women's stories. Women that you care for, peep the behaviors of your homeboys. We are not all lying. It's always what we need to do as women to not be harmed. It's always she deserved it or asked for it. It's never let us teach men what to do. Men read these things and get angry at the conversations. You are angry because deep down you do not care about the voice and the safety of women. Please evaluate yourselves. Literally, literally reevaluate yourself. I know that this episode was heavy. Um, I know that it was a lot. I know that I covered a lot. I hope that you understood it. I hope that you were able to keep up. I hope that it resonated. I hope that this episode that took a year made sense with the movie. Um, I hope that I was able to help you heal through your sexual trauma by telling mine. Um, I hope that you understand the importance of sisterhood and why we all need to make that a main priority. And I want to end this episode with 
the iconic poem by our beloved Sojourner Truth, Ain't I as a Woman. Well, children, where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that twixt the Negroes of the South and the women at the North, all talking about rights, the white man will be in a fix pretty soon. <laughs> but what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages, lifted over ditches, and to have the best place everywhere. Huh. Nobody ever helps me into carriages, or over mud puddles, or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? Then they talk about this thing in the head. What's this they call it? Intellect. That's right, honey. Well, what's that got to do with women's rights or Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint and yours holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little half measure full? <laughs> then that little man there in the black, he says women can't have much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did your Christ come from? <laughs> Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. <laughs> if the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they's asking to do it. The men better let them.